Are you resting in that rock? When I mention the promises of God, what comes to your mind? Is there a verse, something that comes to your mind that you go to? The promises of God. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I will come again and receive you into myself. Keep thinking about that. As is referenced here this morning, you know, we, not unlike many in the past, live in uncertain times. Days of uncertainty. You know, in many ways, things haven't changed much. And sometimes we want to convince ourselves that things won't change. We'll be able to just keep on like we've been. And while many things may not change drastically, and they may not change that shortly, things will change at some point. Turn with me to Second Peter. Chapter three. As I pondered what to share this morning, my my mind went a number of different ways. The series I've been looking at of the covenants considered, but I'm going to look at an, at, at an element of that, I guess, perhaps, because the covenants are based on promises. But I'm going to back up a little bit and just look at, at some of the promises of God and some of the things that we can hold on to as we face the coming year. As was said, you know, things, the the year is, you know, what's a day make? What does a few days make? Not a lot. And yet we consider anew. We we ponder afresh what is ahead, what, what we need to change in our own lives, what may change about us. Where do God's promises fit into this picture? Second Peter chapter three. I'd like to read this chapter. As a springboard. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Go pause there. You see two different categories of things there. Words which were spoken before by the prophets and the commandments of us, the apostles. If you read through, and I believe Ellis may share some on this at some point, but if you look at when Scripture is referred to, the the prophets refers to the Old Testament, 
And this commandments of the apostles would refer to the New Testament. That's the whole summary of Scripture here. Be mindful of, of the Scripture. Verse 3, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? We had that referred to, the promise of his coming. For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but as long-suffering to us were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Do you see something happening there? Do you see a change? Do things continue? Maybe it's a little scary there. It talks about great noise, fervent heat, burning up. Verse 13, Nevertheless we... According to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless, and account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood." which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, twist, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your unsteadfastness. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. The idea of promise, God's promise, promises, are, are here several times. Three times specifically, promise is mentioned. And the first there in, in verse 4 is that in the context of people doubting. Saying, where is the promise of his coming? Jesus said he's going to come again, but all things are just continuing like they have been. And yet it says they are ignorant, willingly ignorant. They choose to, to ignore the fact 
that God pronounced judgment on the world once and he fulfilled it. And he has pronounced judgment on the world again and it will come. Secondly here, there is an affirming of God's promise. The Lord, we we may think that his promise that he isn't fulfilling it, but it's our perspective because he will. And if he will fulfill his promise, then we should be acting on that promise. Verse 13 says, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth. And this will change. It's change us. It should. Because it says if we look for these things, we should be diligent. That we may apply our hearts to knowledge. Notice verse 18. A summary of this this passage of the the change that will come. The denial of some of God's promises and our need to acknowledge the promises and to uh, arrange our lives because of that. Cause us to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That calls to mind a passage earlier in 2 Peter, in chapter 1. Thinking of knowledge and how that helps us. In 2 Peter 1, who begins this book, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Whereby? That knowledge. Through that knowledge, through... Knowing God are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Recently I was reading a book that sparked my thinking a bit more along a line I have considered before but we talk about knowledge and knowledge has different facets and different things. You know, we can know someone. We can know of someone. We can know someone or we can really know someone. And I don't know how much of these words, if there's different forms of the words that maybe apply here or not, but this book was speaking of, of Jewish thought and, and how how the Jews maybe understood some of the things that were said differently than we in our Western culture do. And and there's a a word in the Hebrew that that knowing is much more visceral, much more relationship than fact. And I know for me, perhaps it's easy to know God factually. And while that is good, when the relationship is there, when 
I experience God as I process life and the circumstances of life and I cry out to God and I feel his peace. There's a knowing there that transcends anything that is just factual. Think of Job and his three friends. The way they approached the situation. Job called God into question. He said, this isn't right. This isn't fair. God isn't treating me right. His friends said, oh, we know God. We know that God is fair and God is just and God punishes the wicked and you are wicked. Now, who was right? Someone has likened Job to Job and his relationship with God to that of a married couple where there may be some dishes to get thrown. They had a fight. Job was saying, this isn't fair. And yet he knew God because later God came and, and validated Job's relationship. Not all that he said. He asked him questions and made him realize what he had said. But those that knew God maybe in a way that, that they had a relationship, but it was not close at all. It was a factual relationship, not an understanding and an experiential relationship. Those of his three friends, God judged harshly. And the challenge there for me is just to continue to, to seek to know God on that level of, of personal experience of a heart that, that cries out in prayer, that senses the direction of God, the peace of God, that knows how to answer the needs of people by the Holy Spirit speaking through me. And then I can experience in a deeper way, these exceeding great and precious promises. What are these promises? I'm going to look briefly at a few promises, a few verses that are promises made to us. John 6, verse 37. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. That's a promise that if we approach God, if we humble ourselves and come to God, He will not push us away. He will not hold us away. Matthew 11, verse 28. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. How many of you labor or heavy laden? We have the promise of rest. 1 John 1 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We need to take these promises and we need to hide them in our heart. We need to Hang on to them because we don't know what may come. We don't know what tough circumstances the Lord may allow us to 
to experience. But if these promises are close to us, they are known because of experience, then we can hold on to them and we can refresh them in our memory and we can rest in them. Matthew 10, verse 32 and 33. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. If we acknowledge that we are Christ, if we're willing to say that, if we're willing to stand up when someone blasphemes his name, when we are willing to acknowledge our sin, acknowledge that we are Christ's before men, he will confess, he will will own us before the Father. First John 2.25 And this is the promise that he hath promised us, even eternal life. One of the promises, that of life eternal that we look forward to. Second Corinthians chapter 6 Promises listed here and then referenced in the next chapter. Second Corinthians 6, I'll be reading verses... 14 through the end of the chapter in the first verse of chapter 7. 2 Corinthians 6, 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. If you confess Christ, God, it says, I will dwell in you. Verse 17, Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you. And will be a father unto you. And ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Those are powerful promises that we as Gentiles have been called into this relationship with our Creator. There are stipulations to this of coming out, of walking in holiness. But he says, I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters. In verse seven, or verse one of chapter seven, having therefore these promises, those promises are a motivating factor. Having these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. These promises spur us to know God. They spur us to to want to serve God, to want to give Him all of our lives. And that verse there in in verse 1 is, I'd say, very similar to 2 Peter 1.4. Because it says that the promises enable us or cause us 
to take on the divine nature. And that's what it's calling us to here. As we embrace the promises and the stipulations here, our lives will embody the holiness of God. Turn with me now to John chapter 14. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. This is a promise of Christ. Verse 2, another translation puts it this way. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? My promise is based on fact. This promise is one of the foundational promises that we cling to, I believe. Jesus will come again. And we look forward to being with Christ and in His presence. Those that have experienced tremendous difficulty and pain and suffering, they cling to this promise that Christ will come for them. Christ will take them to be with Him. Jumping down here to verse 13. There's another. I'm going to start reading here verse 13. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. If ye love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth in you, and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Are you experiencing that promise? The promise of the Holy Spirit sent from God. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Verse 19, Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. But ye see me, because I live, ye shall live also. At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments, and keep them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself to him. Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my father will love him, 
and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. What were the disciples about to experience? The context of this passage and and where Jesus was in his ministry. Twice he tells them, let not your heart be troubled. Verse 28, ye have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If ye loved me, ye would rejoice because I said I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it come to pass, that when it is come to pass, ye might believe. Hereafter I will not, not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh, and hath nothing in me, but that the world may know that I love the Father. And as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Arise, let us go hence. Through the following moments and days would be full of turmoil for the disciples. And how much they thought back over these words, I don't know. But over the coming weeks and months that followed, I believe these words came back to their minds and they were a powerful, stabilizing force and gave them rest. And I believe that we do well to refresh continually the promises of God in our minds. As we read the scriptures, that we look for these promises, that we underline, we highlight, we memorize. We don't know when or how we may need them to give us the strength and the hope and the courage to go on. There's a song that I think most of us know very well. I don't think it's in either of our books, but I'd like us to to sing it, Standing on the Promises. So if you would stand together. Dave, could you blow a, a B flat? So standing on the promises of Christ my King. Standing on the promises that cannot fail When the howling storms of doubt and fear assail By the living word of God I shall prevail Standing on the promises of God Standing, standing, standing 
last verse. It is standing on the promises I cannot fall, listening every moment to the Spirit's call, resting in my Savior as my all in all. Standing on the promises I cannot fall, listening every moment to the Spirit's call, resting in my Savior as my all in all, standing on the promises of Thank you. You may be seated. A few promises, categories of promises I'd like to look at yet here, and then I'd like to open up for you to to share some more that you find precious and reiterate things that you hold to of the promises of God. But Promises, we looked at one here in John 14 that I, I went over briefly, but God hears our prayers. It says, when they, if, you, if you ask in my name, I will hear and I will answer. Ask anything in my name and I will do it. That's a promise that we can hold to. In 1 John 5, 13 to 15, Says these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. And this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And if we know that He hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him. God hears us when we pray. Jeremiah thirty three. Three says, call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. It's been called God's telephone number. Jeremiah 33, 3. Call and I will answer. God is with us. Matthew 18, 20. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Hebrews 13 Verses 5 and 6. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper and I will not fear what men shall do unto me. That is a quotation from Deuteronomy. We are able to say along with Moses and the children of Israel, that God will be with us. Deuteronomy 31, verses 6 to 8. Be strong and of good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, he it is that doth go with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. And Moses called unto Joshua and said unto him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and of a good courage, for thou must go with this people unto the land which the Lord hath sworn unto their fathers to give them. And thou shalt cause them to inherit it. And the Lord, he it is that doth go before thee, he will be with thee, he will not fail thee, neither forsake thee, fear not, 
neither be dismayed. So as we live our life without covetousness, we're content with whatever we have. We can say the Lord is with us and he will not forsake us. God will provide. Psalm 103 is full of promises. Just read a few verses there, verses 2 through 6. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. God will provide. Psalm 37, verse 25 says, I have been young and am now old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. Now, does that mean that no righteous person ever is hungry? No. But Psalm 107, verse 9, sheds a little light, perhaps. For he satisfieth the longing soul. He filleth the hungry soul with goodness. Now, we don't have all the answers. God's promises are real. They're true. Some may be fulfilled in different ways than we would desire. Habakkuk 3, 17 to 19 was shared here some time ago, but I came across it again as I was meditating on this. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olive shall fail, and the fields shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord is my strength and he will make my feet like hinds feet and he will make me to walk upon my high places. That is someone that is trusting in the Lord. That is resting in the promises of God. How do we obtain these promises? Hebrews 11 speaks of promises in several senses. I'd like to read a few verses there. As we think of people in hard times, people that were probably where we wouldn't want to be. But listen to what it says. Hebrews 11, you can follow along, verse 32. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah, of David also and Samuel and of the prophets, who through faith, that's how we get these promises, by faith, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. 
Women received their dead raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Some of that sounds pretty pretty uh, glamorous, doesn't it? They were able to turn to flight the armies and were made strong in weakness, escaped the sword. Verse 36, and others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, they were tempted, they were slain with a sword. They wandered about if sheepskins and goat skins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. But they received, they obtained promises. God having provided some better thing for us that they without us should not be made perfect. They did not see that promise of Christ come incarnate, the salvation that they were waiting on. But they did obtain promises. God never left them. God never forsook them. God took them. God provided for them because they placed their faith in him. These promises are ours by faith. What are promises that you cling to? What are the promises that you rest in? We heard a few here. Are there others that you would like to share? Things that God brings to your mind, things that God has been teaching you, promises that are precious to you. What would you have to share? God always hears those that call upon him in truth that really have their hearts toward him. Psalm 145. The promise of living water. Romans 8. No condemnation for those in, in Christ. The Psalms are full of promises. And it's hard to know where to start and where to stop if you go there. But I think that's one reason that God has given us the Psalms for encouragement. And a lot of those were written in times of of David's life when he was being tormented and chased. And he cried out to God and he confessed his faith that God was taking care of him and would take care of him. A few verses from Psalm 91 at the end. Verses 14 to 16, it's kind of a, it seems like a response from God. It says, because he hath set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. I'd like to leave you with one final passage of promise. It comes from the last book, the next to last chapter. 
Revelation 21, verses 5 to 8. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are faithful and true. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Just stop there. That's the call of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Come, drink. I will be your God. May this encourage you as you go through the coming days and weeks and as the Lord tarries to dig into those promises and to hold them close. That you would know God in a deeper and more personal way.